Okay, who's up for being offended today? Awesome. Get ready. Your time is coming. Uh, but first, let's take a quick two-and-a-half-minute recap of the story of the Bible from a kingdom perspective. Um, God created the world as a place. i got a picture of it right here for you. You guys getting used to these circles? God created the world as a place where God's space and man's space could be the same space, right? Where God and man could be together. That's what he wanted. That was the plan. And so God created this perfect world where he and mankind could be together. And in this world, God would supply everything needed for human flourishing and for great relationships between men and women, between men and men, between mankind and God. That's what God wanted from the beginning was human flourishing and great relationships. And so in the garden, he gave mankind everything needed for those two things to happen. He gave them his presence so we could actually be with God. He gave them his provision, food and water and air and beauty. He gave them purpose. I mean, we're called to rule the world with God. And he gave them protection from anything that would impede human flourishing and relationships between God and man and between God, man and each other. But he gave man a choice that he could stay in the garden. He could stay in this perfect place where the spaces were one and where God was providing everything or man could strike out on his own. And he could choose for himself what was good and evil. And he could try to make his own world and, and, and figure out what it was like to have relationships on his own and figure out his own provision and his own purpose and his own protection from anything bad that would happen. And Satan came in as the talking snake, right? And he convinced mankind that God did not want human flourishing, that he just didn't want man. He wanted to hold man down instead of lift man up. And mankind, unfortunately, bought into that lie. We've been buying it ever since. And mankind decided that he would rather, you know, provide for himself, that he would rather find his own purpose, and that he would rather protect himself, and that he would figure out his own way to do relationships. And so God honored what mankind had asked for and chosen. And man was kicked out of the garden. And we went back to this separation of God's space being separate from man's space. But the promise throughout the Bible was that God would send a Messiah, a special human, a better human than the original human who would bring God's space and man's space back together. And this Messiah would bring a new kingdom and he would announce the gospel, the good news of this coming kingdom of God, which is back to the original plan of God's space and man's space being one space. And this Messiah would empower and create and give birth to a whole new humanity who could stand up to the temptation of the snake about sin and about pride and about hate and about self. And that Messiah was Jesus. And he came. And when he came, he was the place where God's space and man's space or one space, because he was the spirit of God, right? But in the body of a man. So he was the place where God's space and man's space was the same space. And then when he ascended to God, he put his spirit right, in our bodies so that we could be the place where God's space and man's space is the same space. And as we become the place where God's space and man's space is the same space, we, we grow more and more like Jesus, right? We grow more and more together 
so that he can bring his kingdom here simultaneously in us and through us. And so our role as, as his spirit leads us and empowers us is to continue the work that Jesus started in his earthly body. And that's why we call the church the body of Christ. Right? He's continuing through us what he started in a physical body 2,000 years ago. So we're supposed to continue what Jesus did. And that means really three things. It means evangelism, which is telling people the good news about the coming kingdom and how they can be citizens in it. It's about discipleship, which is teaching people how to follow Jesus and how to live this life as a new humanity and how to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And then it's about passing out samples of the kingdom of God here in the kingdom of darkness because that's what Jesus was doing. When he was going around healing people and casting out demons and raising the dead and relieving human suffering, that was like little tastes, right? Little tastes of the kingdom of heaven, little tastes of healing, little tastes of freedom, little tastes of righteousness and acceptance and light and life and peace and unity and just like the samples at Costco, right? These little tastes, what do they do? They make us buy the whole package, right? And that's, that, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're continuing his work, passing out these, these samples of his presence and his provision and his purpose and his protection. And today we're going to focus on passing out kingdom samples of God's protection. So let's talk about protection for a minute. Um, in the garden, we know that God protected man from the abysmal scary waters that it talks about in Genesis, um, from the darkness I guess from wild animals, uh, meteor showers, COVID, right? Not COVID-19, it was COVID-O. Uh, but this, so he's protecting man from everything, right? And one of the best protections that God gave mankind was that he would share with man the truth of what was best for him. It was just the way he was going to protect mankind, is just, just tell him the truth about what was best for him, which obviously, as the designer and the creator of everything, and as the designer and the creator of humanity, God knows what encourages human flourishing. God knows what encourages great relationships with him and with each other. And so things that encourage human flourishing and great relationships, God calls good. And things that work against human flourishing and bad relationships, God calls those things evil. And if you think about it, if you've raised kids, that's the same thing you do, right? One of the best ways we protect our kids is with rules. So you, when you made rules for your kids, don't touch the stove, right? It's a good rule. Right? Don't, don't play in the street, right? No cell phones in bedrooms. No social media accounts for 10-year-olds, right? Don't eat rat poison. Right? When you made those rules for your kids, did you do that to oppress them? Did you do that to hold them back? Did you do that to keep them from enjoying life and being their own person? No, you did those things. You made those rules because you wanted what was best for them to live and to grow and to thrive and to flourish. And so you set up some rules, which are just definitions of what is good and what is bad. And you did that to protect them from anything that opposes them flourishing. So God's view of good and evil shows us what's good for us. And it shows us what's poison to us. So we're clear on that, the protection idea. So then the passing out of kingdom samples, kingdom samples is us like modeling 
and helping people experience a little taste of what the kingdom was meant to be and what the kingdom will someday eventually be as they experience God's presence and his provision and his purpose and his protection from anything that would impede human flourishing and a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. And that protection comes largely from God telling us what's good and what's evil. We all clear? We understand kingdom samples? We're passing out samples of what it's gonna be like, including his protection, which largely is him telling us what's best for us and what's good and what's evil. Now, what you may have noticed is that people are much more open to some samples than others. Yeah? So um, this happened to me just the other day. I saw God gave me a great revelation at Costco. Um, so I see this woman. She's setting up the little, this thing, right? The little um, sample table. And she's putting on her gloves. And they got those little paper cups that they put them in or whatever. And um, right next to her, she's got a mountain of these things. Macadamia milk chocolate salted caramel clusters. Yeah, that's what I said. That's exactly what I said, right? And so revival is breaking out, man. I mean, it's, it is happening, and people are, you know, lining up. And, like, she's putting on her gloves like she's got all stinking day, you know. Put them on or don't. I don't care. And all this group of people is just like, forget the gloves. Just like, ah, 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 ah. Just throw them. We don't care. It's going to be that amazing, right? And so like, there's this crowd of people, and as I'm waiting to get up in that crowd, I spit out my gum, man, because this is it's a brand-new piece of gum, but it's going to be, it's going to be worth it because it's going to be so amazing. And I'm waiting in line, I'm spitting out my gum, and I'm just, just glorifying God for this amazing thing that's about to happen to me. And I noticed people are kind of leaving, and I thought, I don't know, maybe they got theirs, I don't know what's happening. And then I get up there, and I realize exactly what was happening because she was not passing out samples of macadamia milk chocolate salted caramel clusters. She was passing out these horrible <laughs> protein snack things <laughs> that were made out of like wheat germ and cauliflower flour and like organic skunk hair or something. <laughs> like, it's like, I got up there and it's like, I, I tasted it and it's like, just give me my gum back out of the trash, you know? <laughs> Because it's just this horrible, and it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me. All those people that were standing there, people were yelling at her. Right? And they're, they're turning over the tables like Jesus in the temple, man. No, 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 no. We don't. And she goes, no, 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 no. This poor, she's about this tall. No, these are good for you. These are good for, it's like false advertising. We're mad. And she goes, no, they're good for you. It's protein. It's got cauliflower flour and all this organic, no GMO, I don't know what. And so she's saying, no, it's good for you. And all those people like are just in unison chanting, we don't want what's good for us. <laughs> right? We want macadamia, milk chocolate, salted caramel clusters. So maybe you've noticed that similarly as we offer samples of healing, Oh, people are all over that. Right? We offer samples of freedom and acceptance and peace and provision and spiritual experience. Yeah, people are all over that. Just they're, they're spitting out the gum of this world in a heartbeat. But when we start talking about a sample of protection from temptation and Satan and sin and self, when we start talking about a sample of kingdom values, right? 
of God's version of good and evil, which is just protection for us. People don't always line up to get those samples. In fact, sometimes they fight. Um, it's not new. John 3.19 says, God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. So broken people in a broken world who have not been recreated into this new humanity with the spirit of Jesus in them may reject God's version of good and evil. They may reject that protection like humanity kind of always has. So here's like my question for today. As God's agents of change here, what does it look like for us to pass out kingdom samples of righteousness and justice in a world that loves unrighteousness and injustice? And specifically, how do we respond to unrighteousness in issues like sexual immorality and racism and abortion and this new gender ideology when the world wants to fight for darkness and against the light and against the goodness of God's version of good and evil, when the world wants to fight against us, what are we supposed to do? I mean, do we fight back? And that lady at Costco didn't knock us down and jam that stuff down our throats. Do we, do we just ignore it and wait for the kingdom to come? Should we, should we just acquiesce? Should we just cave in? Like when in Rome. Should we write thousand-word posts on social media that will only be read by people that already agree with us? Um, what, what should we do? Protest? Political activism? Should we burn down Planned Parenthood? Should we, should we try to hurt trans people? This is hard because I'm looking. Peter and Paul both said we should submit ourselves to government authorities. What does that look like when the government is corrupt? So in Matthew 5, Jesus said we're to be salt and light in this rotting, dark world. But if we're the body of Christ and we're continuing his work, I get the what and I get the why. How? How do we engage this world we're his body. How do we engage this world like he did? How do we fight these culture war wars? How do we fight these battles in our current world in a way that both models God's kingdom righteousness, right? And at the same time, honors Jesus' new commandment for us that we love one another. And I'm telling you, it's hard. It's hard. So today, um, we're gonna go through six ideas not searching for the answers to these topics, but just on how do we engage the battle between the darkness of this world and the righteousness of God's kingdom. Here's your first idea. Pick his battles. Pick his battles. In this war, we have to choose carefully what hill we're willing to die on. Right? We have to choose carefully. If our goal is to bring God's kingdom here, we have to make some hard decisions. Because what was our first calling? As the body of Christ, we were doing three things. What was the first one? Evangelism, evangelism. So we can't engage a battle in a way that diminishes our opportunities for evangelism. So let me give you an example of this. And just like, get ready. You're gonna, by the end of the day, everybody here will hate me. So this could be my last week. So here we go, here we go. 
let's, let's pick a subject that will make everybody mad. So I don't tell you my side of the subject, but let's, okay, let's, let's talk about tighter gun control laws. <laughs> just back up, yeah. So let's just talk about that for a sec. Let's say I'm, I'm for that. I am for tighter gun control laws. That's a fairly hot topic, right? Listen to me. If I say I'm for it, and therefore, if you're against it, then you are wrong, you are anti-biblical, you are going to hell. Then whether that's true or false, if I say it, immediately some people are going to do this. Right? They're not going to hear a word I say after that. As soon as I say, I'm, I know you people. There's not a person here that doesn't have a gun in it, right? I know you people. <laughs> If I say to you right now, if you don't believe in tighter gun control laws, you're wrong, the Bible's against you, and you're against the Bible, here's what I'm going to see. You're not going to hear anything else I say today, including the part about how Jesus wants to save you. You see that problem? That was our first goal, was evangelism. So, unless God speaks very clearly to that subject, I'm not going to take that risk. I can't risk this. I can't risk this. Evangelism's my first thing. I can't risk that. So unless God is really just, just direct and obvious and clear on a subject, I'm not going to take that risk. By presenting that gun control laws in 2023 America are a kingdom issue. Because listen to me, whatever side you're on of that, that is not part of the gospel. And I can't have people covering their ears about the gospel because I disagree with them on a non-gospel issue. No Christian would do that, right? Right? The truth is that some Christians are so adamant about an issue that we kind of try to make the Bible speak to it, don't we? Um, and it's amazing, when the Bible speaks to an issue, it's always on my side. Isn't it funny how that works out? It reminds me of a kid. Imagine you go to your 15-year-old. He's sitting on the couch playing video games. And you say, shouldn't you be studying for your chemistry test tomorrow? And he goes, oh, no, I'm not studying anymore because I found Jesus. <laughs> and you say, what are you talking about? And he says to you, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm just doing what the Bible says. In Mark 13, 11, Jesus said that when we face tests in life, even if you get arrested, don't even think about what you're going to say in advance. Don't worry. Don't plan. Just show up and let the Spirit lead you. <laughs> right? And so I, the Bible is kind of against studying for a test. And a lot of teenagers right now going like, you know what, that sounds right. right. <laughs> that, that's silly, right? That's silly. You're not supposed to take scripture and try to make it agree with my position. It's supposed to be the other way around, right? Have people that are not teenagers historically ever done that? So I'll tell you, I think one of the grossest things in American history was slave owners using the Bible to justify slavery. That is the grossest thing I can think of. To say to them, well, the scripture says, slaves, obey your masters, therefore it's okay for me to beat you. It's okay for me to abuse you. It's okay for me to enslave you. It's okay for me to hit you and rape you and hurt you. You should just swallow that. You should just go along with it because the Bible says so. I can't imagine what Jesus is going to have to say to those people when they meet him in person. 
Yeah, but that was then, right? That was a particularly ugly chapter, right? That we Christians have, would we ever do that now? And I'm going to tell you that we do it all the time. I probably do it. I, I'll tell you a funny one. I heard a guy that's about gun control. I had a guy tell me one time, well, here's the thing about, about gun control laws. Jesus said that he came to bring freedom. The Bible says that it's for freedom that he has set us free. And the Second Amendment gives us the freedom to carry guns. Therefore, Jesus is against gun control laws. Boom. Right? And some people here right now are saying, there's no way anybody said that, that something that ignorant. And there are some people here right now that are saying, you know what, that sounds right. That sounds right to me. Um, can I tell you something? I don't know if Jesus is against tighter gun control laws. Because Jesus never talked about tighter gun control laws. Because 2,000 years ago in Galilee, guns were kind of rare. <laughs> right? Does anybody really think that when Jesus said he came to give humanity freedom from the oppression of sin and Satan and temptation and self, that what he really meant, that what he was really talking about was that we should have looser gun control laws. This is just an, one example of, of people trying to make the Bible support their position instead of the other way around. So you know what? I'll just tell you guys. I have an opinion on gun control laws. And I'm pretty sure it's right. And I'm pretty sure it's what's best for our country. And you know what it is? I'm not going to tell you. In here. Right? I'm, I'm not going to share it from the pulpit because I don't think it's a kingdom issue. I, I, I don't think it's a transcendent truth spoken clearly to in Scripture. And therefore, I am not going to risk you plugging your ears when I share the gospel by talking about it. And this is just, this is one example. I have lots of opinions, and they're all right. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have strong opinions about small government versus big government. And I'm pretty sure that I'm right about what's best and what's right for our country. I have strong opinions about border control and immigration. And I am kind of sure that they're right and they're best for our country. I have opinions about foreign policy. I have opinions about what we should be doing uh, in Ukraine. I have strong opinions about income tax, which I know are from the Lord. <laughs> I have strong feelings about uh, vaccine mandates. Strong, powerful, and I'm, I am so right. I am so right. And I, I want what's best. And I know what's best. So it feels like I should tell you what's best. And on a, a, like, even smaller, like, I have an opinion. I think they should widen 281 to the west, not to the east. I'm, that's what's best for our world. I have a strong opinion that the out-of-bounds penalty in golf is too penal. <laughs> Stroke and distance. That's, I can't, I have a strong opinion that the designated hitter is wrong for baseball. Strong opinions. I have strong opinions about lots, lots, and lots of issues. And I am right about every single one of those issues. But they're not kingdom issues. They're not clearly addressed in the Bible. So this is important. I'm not willing to risk being able to tell you the truth about the kingdom because I overshared my opinions about the world. I'll say that again. 
I'm not willing to risk being able to tell you the truth about the kingdom because I overshared my opinions about the world. Amen? Okay. And now for a big but. But there are some transcendent truths that are clearly spoken to in the Bible and that are clearly spoken to in the life of Jesus. And on those hills, I'm willing to die. Right? On those subjects, I am willing to say to you, this is a kingdom sample that God has been clear about, about what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is evil. And on those things, I have to say, I have to stand for truth. And if that offends someone, I just have to be willing to live with that. Right? The gospel, can I tell you a secret? The gospel is offensive, right? That doesn't mean we have to be offensive. The gospel itself is offensive enough without me adding all of my opinions. So here's an example. Um, I believe that abortion is one of those issues. I believe that the Bible is full of instructions. I'm not taking one little verse out of context and making it say what I want it to say. The Bible is full of instructions in lots of different environments, in lots of different situations. The Bible is full of instructions in the New Testament and in the Old Testament to stand up for the weak and powerless to be a voice for those who have no voice. It's pretty clear throughout the Bible that God abhors the killing of human beings created in his image. Think about what it is. God is about creation. This is de-creation. That's what it is. It, 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 God loves life. God hates death. And I think DNA and ultrasound evidence is pretty clear right now that preborn babies are individual, distinct, tiny humans created in God's image and not part of a pregnant mom. So, while I absolutely think that we should embrace and love and work for redemption and acceptance and healing for people that have participated in abortions, I think as salt and light of this world, we have to stand against it. So you see how that works? That, that one's, yeah. I think, I think that's different than whether we should have a DH in baseball. I think that's different than whether we should expand the highway on this side. I even think that's different than what we should do about border control and what we should do about immigration and what we should do about all this, our involvement in Ukraine. I think that's a different type of thing. I think it's just really important that we pick his battles. When we face pushback on what we believe to be kingdom samples of God's version of right and wrong, it starts by picking his battles. Is it, what does he care about, right? Is it hurting human flourishing? Is it hurting relationships between people and God and people and people? Also, is his word clear on his position? If so, easy peasy. We jump in the fray and we never look back. If not, we may be picking fights that God has not sanctioned and risking our ability to evangelize. That doesn't mean we don't care about other issues. It doesn't mean we don't get involved about other issues. It doesn't mean we don't debate other issues. I do. But before we dive into a fight, or before we call a fight a kingdom fight, we gotta be careful that we're not picking my pet subject, that we're actually picking his battles. Still with me? Yes. Still love me? Yes. Okay. If you don't, just keep it yourself. Okay. <laughs> picking his battles. Number two, seeking his truth. Not the truth of my newsfeed. Thank you. Not the truth of my friends' opinions. Not the truth of my political party platform. Not the truth of my opinions or my solutions, right? His truth. 
If only there were a place we could find that. Right? Where in the world? Google. There you go. I should have thought of that. There's that. That's how we can find. John 17, 17, Jesus said, God, your word is truth. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the truth. So as we seek truth on an issue, we should look at the Bible. We should look at the life of Jesus, not our newsfeed, not our social group, not our political party line. So I'll give you an example of this. Let's think of one. What is God's truth on? And we want to think of something that offends somebody. I'm just going one at a time. I'm going to offend everybody. That's my goal today. Let's talk about race. Let's talk about race relations. What is God's truth on race relations? So I see Jesus spent a lot of time with and loved and called into ministry a whole bunch of different people, a whole bunch of different kinds of people, a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different people groups, including a Samaritan woman, which was a people group despised by the Jews. So if I'm looking at the life of Christ and if his life is right, then the life of Jesus is pretty obviously saying that us preferring one group over another is wrong. Also, by the way, the Bible says in James 2, 9, if you favor some people over others, that's sin. <laughs> Anybody not understand that? Right? That's sin. Galatians 3.28 says that in Christ there is no differentiation between people groups. In John's revelation, he describes God's coming kingdom as being made up of every nation, tongue, and tribe. So when somebody says or implies or acts like white people are superior to other races or excludes or treats a minority as inferior in any way, that's an easy one, right? That's sin. That's his truth. And when, when racism was rampant, in the United States 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 400 years ago, even though it was very popular, the truth is it was still sin, right? 400 years ago, society's view, society's truth was that it was right, but it wasn't true. God's truth is that it was sin. And you know what? It's, it's less popular now, right? But there are still people, and there are still organizations, and there are still some political and social structures that are racist, and there's only one truth about that. It's sin. And by the way, let's get everybody in on this, right? Somebody, somebody might have liked that. When some proponents of critical race theory say that a rich, white, straight, cisgendered man is inherently less important or less relevant or less value than someone who's not rich, white, straight, cis, and male. If somebody says that that person is less valuable, then it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what the books they're feeding your kids in schools think. It doesn't matter what the people on TV think. God's truth, as revealed in the life of Jesus in the Bible, is a sin to favor some people over another. Any form of racism is sin. So as we engage the kingdom of darkness with, with what God calls good and evil, first we're going to pick his battles. 
Right? And then we're going to find his truth. And then we're going to find his passion. You know, Jesus didn't speak out much on cultural stuff and societal stuff, government issues. But when Jesus spoke out on something, he did it with unbelievable passion. Do you remember when Jesus went into the temple and he found people using, he said, using his father's house, supposed to be a house of prayer, and instead they're using it to cheat people out of money. Do you remember what he did? He, he went nuts, right? I mean, he, he threw over the tables and got a whip and chased all the livestock and all the people out of there. These were powerful people. That, that's fairly passionate. Right? He was very passionate about what he was going to do. Uh, when the religious leaders brought this woman caught in adultery to Jesus, these are the most powerful men in Israel. And Jesus, he, he didn't just like let it slide. Right? He called out their hypocrisy. He said, let the one without, the, without sin throw the first stone. He shut down the most power. He spoke up to the most powerful men in Israel. He was very passionate. When Jesus saw what sin was doing to humanity, do you remember what he did about it? He laid down his life, right? He accepted betrayal and lies and torture and death. He was, he was very passionate, right? He found his passion. And then as he passed his spirit on to us, we see the Acts Church, the New Testament church, kind of having some of that same passion. Here's Peter in Acts chapter four. Remember that story? They call him into court, right? He's all handcuffed and all that. They got him before the judge. They don't know what to do with him. They don't know what to do with him. Should we kill him? Should we throw him in prison? And finally they talk about it. They don't want to cause a riot. So finally they said, okay, look, hey, Peter, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let you off with a warning. We're going to let you off with a warning. But you can't talk about this Jesus stuff anymore. No more of this kingdom talk. That you got to stop that or else. And Peter said, do you think God wants me to obey you or him? This is, these people have the power of life and death over him. And he is so passionate about what, he's, what he believes. He says, you know what, you, tell you, what, you do what you got to do. We are not going to stop preaching the gospel. This is passion. And I'm telling you, if God is calling you to engage in one of these battles of righteousness against darkness, his spirit is in you. His kingdom is at stake. Find his passion to fight with. And as you do, number four, keep his priorities. This story of the woman caught in adultery is awesome. So here's, if you don't know the story, so they catch this woman in the act of adultery. These, these Pharisees, these, these, these religious leaders bring her to Jesus. They throw her in the dirt and they say, the law of Moses says we should stone her to death. What do you think we should do? I'm trying to trap him. And I, 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 love, I love what Jesus said, that the one without, the, without sin throw the first stone, right? And they all left and all that. Um, but I love that this shows Jesus' priorities, right? We're gonna use his priorities. Look at his priorities in this story. Number one, Jesus protected her, right? Number two, he showed compassion and forgiveness. Then, number three, he called out hypocrisy among the religious people. Then, Number four, he says to her, okay, go and sin no more. His priority was protecting the weak and protecting the vulnerable and showing compassion and redemption and then correcting behaviors, starting with the religious people. And as I read the New Testament, I was like, well, what are his priorities? It seems like Jesus values people 
over their behaviors. I think that's a priority for him, right? I think he values compassion over rule keeping. I, I think that's pretty clear. That's one of his priorities. Um, redemption over judgment. I think that's obvious. Healing over death. These are, these are his priorities. He likes unity better than separation, right? He thinks God's ways are higher than man's ways. And it's not that those other things don't matter, but these are some of his priorities. So let's think of an example of this one. Um, let's talk about this gender ideology stuff. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the whole of Scripture, starting in the garden, teaches us that God loves, we talked about this last week, the coming together of distinct things. It is throughout Scripture. Check it out. God loves the coming together of distinct things, light and darkness, right? The water above, the water below. God's space and man's space coming together. It's the theme of the Bible, right? God and humanity coming together. Completely different, completely distinct things coming together. So when I clearly read that God created mankind in two distinct genders, it says male and female, he created them. And when I see that those two distinct genders are perfectly matched so that they could come together as an illustration of the coming together of Christ and the church, the coming together of God and man, the coming together of God's space and man's space, then for me, that clarifies pretty well that his truth is that there are two distinct genders, not a spectrum of genders. Also, if God created me as a man, but I've decided that I'm going to be a woman because that's my truth, right? Because that's, that's my version of what's good for me. I have to say, isn't that what started the whole world's problem? Isn't that 100% what the whole story, the whole creation narrative is about is man saying, I'll decide what I am. I'll decide who I am. I'll decide what's best for me. I'll find my own purpose, right? I'll find my own company. I'll find my own reason for living. I'll find my own provision. I'll find my own protection in life. I'll decide what's right for me and what's wrong for me. So, I mean, the truth of scripture is pretty clear. There are two distinct gender, genders, male and female, and they are different by design. They are made to complement each other. And part of God's purpose is that they would come together as an image of the coming together that he loves so much of two distinct things, God and humanity. That view of gender does what God loves. It encourages human flourishing, right? It encourages relationships with man and God and with man and each other. So I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear. Another big but. But. If someone is really struggling with gender dysphoria, then as Jesus' followers, our first priority should not be shutting them down. It should not be hurting that hurting person. It should be helping them find compassion and healing and redemption. Yeah, we absolutely need to speak truth into that situation. But we also have to be salt and light. We have to stand up. But... If we're going to be the body of Christ, we've got to keep his priorities. Number five, use his gifts to fulfill his calling. 
So 1 Corinthians 12 and a whole bunch of other places in Scripture talk about each of us getting a spiritual gift. God has given us, like, some people are really wise, some people are great teachers, some people have great faith, some people have the gift of healing. God has given each one of us with certain gifts and talents and passion and education and experience. And each of those giftings corresponds to a calling that he's given us to pass out kingdom samples. So remember that series we did a while back called Questionable Lives? It was all about evangelism. And what we said was, some people have this amazing gift as an evangelist. They always say it right. They remember the verses. It just comes out good. They have a platform. People listen to them. They're, I don't know, engaging or whatever. And they're just, obviously, God's gifted those people to be evangelists. But then a whole bunch of us are called not to be this public evangelist, but instead to bless people and to eat with people and to really know Jesus ourselves, and to really listen to the Holy Spirit for opportunities, and then when our behaviors of blessing people and eating with people and knowing Jesus cause people to ask us questions, then we give gracious, wise, gentle, respectful answers that point them to Jesus, right? I just summed up the whole sermon series in one minute right there. Wasted a lot of y'all's time a couple of months ago. And I think it's the same with these cultural issues. If God is calling you, if God is calling you and has gifted you and has put you in an opportunity to run for school board or be a state representative or run for president, then if it's so that you can impact these issues at those levels, if God's called you to do that, if God's gifted you to do that, you should do that. You should do that. You shouldn't sit at home and watch the news and wail and scream and cuss and complain. You should do what God's calling you and empowering you and gifting you to do. If God is calling you and empowering you to protest a drag queen show at a kindergarten, you should do that. You should do that. You should find his passion. And you should do that. If God is calling you to try to get to know better someone of a different race. If God is calling you to show kindness to a woman who's had an abortion, if God is calling you to encourage and pray with a transgender person, you should do that. And when they ask you questions, why are you being so nice to me? Why are you praying for me when you absolutely disagree with my life? Why would, why would you care? What happens to me when they ask you those questions, you can answer those questions, as Paul said, and as Peter said, kindly, and graciously, with gentleness and respect, so that your answers will point those people to Jesus. If he's calling you and empowering you to do that, you should do that. If he's calling and empowering you to be a great evangelist, so that these misguided people can be filled with his spirit, and changed by his truth, then you should get on the road today and start sharing the gospel. If, to win these battles, every one of us needs to do, this is important, everyone needs to do everything and only what the Spirit calls you and empowers you to do. Use his callings, use his giftings to fulfill his callings. And then the last thing is, as we're out there in the trenches, we gotta follow his model. 
We've got to follow the model of Jesus. John 1.14 talks about Jesus leaving heaven and coming here and putting on skin and becoming a human being. Here's what it says. The word, Jesus, became flesh. He made his dwelling among us, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. How did he come? Say it with me. He came full of grace and truth. He came full of grace and truth. That's the model of Jesus. He comes at these issues, and he comes at these people who love darkness with grace and with truth. And honestly, most of us are much better at one than the other. True? Right? I'm not you, but the person next to you, they're really bad at the other one, huh? Whatever it is. I mean, whatever it is, most of us are either really great at standing up for truth, but we kind of forget about grace, right? Or we're all about grace, and we never get around to standing up for truth. And I want to tell you, if we want to come at these issues like Jesus did, we have to speak truth to the issues and show grace to the people. We have to speak truth to the issues, but we've got to show grace to the people. And I can't speak for you, but I'll tell you my history with Jesus is, it seems like it's people over issues for him a lot, but my experience with Jesus was that he shared grace and then he spoke truth. Right? Jesus didn't tell me, clean up your act and I'll accept you. Right? He said, come and I'll change you. Right? Accept me and I'll change you. And so he accepted me as I was and he loved me and he showed me grace and then little by little, the Holy Spirit convicts. Right? And little by little, he spoke truth into my life. So just for fun, let's just, I'll just ask you uh, like a little poll. How many of you think your specialty is speaking truth? It's okay, hold them up. Nobody's gonna judge you. Okay, how many of you think your specialty is sharing grace? How many of you would say, honestly, I'm perfect? <laughs> a few, a few. You have other issues. Um, so better question than that. Listen, how is Jesus calling you? He's given you gifts, man. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you callings. He's given you education and experience and passion for certain things. How is Jesus calling you to use that stuff to bring his righteousness into this dark world? How is Jesus calling you to speak truth into the darkness of this world? And how is he calling you to use your giftings to share grace with the people who are going to fight you? As his body, we should come at these issues like Jesus did, in grace and truth. So, as his body, what are we doing, man? We're, we're passing out samples, right, of God's presence. Man, you can experience God. It's awesome, right, of, of his provision. He wants to give you healing and freedom and victory and his purpose. He wants to use you in the kingdom of God. He wants to give you an important role in his kingdom. And his protection, which is we give people a taste of his view of good and evil. And I'm telling you now, when we do, we are going to run into some resistance, right? If you go up to somebody and say, I'd like to offer you a free healing, they're going to probably take you up on that one, right? But when we go up to somebody and say, let me share the truth with you, right? This is God's protection for you. He wants what's best for you. And so he showed us what's good and what's evil. He showed us. He told us. He, he modeled for us in the life of Jesus what is conducive to human flourishing. 
and amazing relationships with God and each other. That, that's his truth. Let me share that with you. When you try to share that, I'm telling you, you're going to run into some resistance. And we're going to only win these battles against the darkness of this world that rejects God's version of good and evil if we pick his battles and if we seek his truth and if we keep his priority and we use his gifts to fulfill his callings and we follow his models as we do the really amazing, really impossible work with grace and with truth. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, wow, thank you for modeling grace and truth for us. You, you loved people more than you love the behaviors of those people. You, you provided forgiveness and acceptance and love, and yet you stood for truth. You said you are the truth. Your word is true. So God, man, we're running into stuff every day that seems so not just weird, but just dark and evil. God, give us the courage to stand up for your truth, to pick your battles and take your passion to speak truth into those circumstances. But God, also remind us of your grace and your priorities to love people and to love redemption. And God, let us come at those people not only in truth, but in grace. We wanna speak truth to the issues but we want to show grace to people so that we can be more like Jesus because that's the whole goal, right, is you're making us more like him. You're, you're making us more and more your kingdom because we're the place where your spirit comes into our bodies, where your space becomes our space. So thank you for including us in the important work of bringing your kingdom here. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.